Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Verses 5 through 8 in it today. Last week we talked a little bit about the verses prior uh, to that in the book of James. We talked about the nature of temptation. Uh, today we'd like to go to James chapter number 1 and look at verses 5 through 8. Amen. And we looked at last week how in many measures whenever it comes to temptation, temptation be kind of, it's kind of forceful to say it's our fault, but uh, the Bible says that God cannot be tempted neither will he tempt us but basically every man is drawn away of our own lust and enticed so we have a, a grand responsibility whenever it comes to temptation ourselves so since that is the case and that is the nature of temptation uh, James goes on to tell us a little bit on how to deal with temptation or how to deal with the fact that we have that involvement in temptation that we're drawn away of our own lust and, and enticed and so I want to talk about that uh, just a little bit today I want to talk about how to deal with with temptation or our part of temptation uh, gleaning from James chapter number one and I'm going to begin in verse number five the Bible states these words remember the, the verse number four that we left off with last week was do not err brethren do not err brethren and so here he's going to give us a little bit further insight how we can steer clear of erring verse 5 says if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and so we have a we have a certainty and a promise here that if we were asked of God wisdom he will give it liberally he does so to all men and upbraideth not but it shall be given him the word God's not going to chastise you for asking wisdom wisdom of him he's going to give it to you verse 6 but let him ask in faith nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord a double-minded man is unstable in all of his Ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to help us today with this lesson. Father, I come to you this morning. So grateful, Lord, for your love. I'm so grateful today, Lord, for your mercy. God, your grace, Lord, you are real, Lord Jesus, to me. And you are real, Lord Jesus, to these people this morning. God, we need you. God, we need, Lord Jesus, your anointing, God, in this place. God, help us, O oh Lord, to contend, Lord Jesus, with this life, to be able to contend, Lord, with the things, Lord Jesus, of this life. God, I pray, O oh Lord, the temptations, Lord, that would come to deal, Lord, with that own part, Lord, that's within our souls, those appetites, God, that we seek at times, Lord, to appease, Lord, with things, Lord, with wrong objectives and wrong items. I pray, O oh Lord, direct our attention appropriately today, and we will not fail to, to thank you and to praise you and the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everyone say amen amen you may be seated this morning uh, in Jesus name 
you may not recognize this by this name, but you would probably by another. The name is Lactrodectus Gerometricus. That's a scientific name, but the real name of it is what you would know is a black or brown widow spider. Anybody ever seen a black or brown widow spider? Yeah, there's a few hens. That notable little hourglass that is upon its, its body. They say that the black widow spider is the most venomous spider in North America. That its venom is 15 times more powerful even than a rattlesnake. And so I've seen one. Matter of fact, I've, I've had maybe one or two that I've seen in or around our house at times, you know, and so you try to bring it to its death as quickly as possible. But nonetheless, something interesting enough about the black widow spider is this. Many people believe that it's called that because if you were to come in contact with it, uh, primarily if a man would come in contact with it and would not kill it and it bit him, that uh, it would make his wife then a widow. And so there's a lot uh, that's attached to its name, they believe, because of that. But that's not really where it got its name, that it was going to take your husband out and leave you as a widow. It got its name because it has this tendency to be attracted by older female widow spiders. Uh, that the, 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 the female, these older widow, these older black spiders, black widow spiders, these widows, uh, me calling them by name, not calling them that they had a husband and don't have him anymore, uh, that, that these spiders, these elderly ones, send forth great amounts of mating pheromones. And they say that even if you were to take a male black widow spider and put him in a container with a lot of younger females and older females, more than not, he's going to be attracted by the older females because they have those strong mating pheromones that they send forth and so in essence he is he is drawn by his own appetite all right he's drawn by his own desire of those mating pheromones to these elderly ones although since they are elderly there's a great prop probability that they're they're less fertile and so they may not even have any offspring uh, from any mating uh, it's all because of the drive of those pheromones going forth and that attracting the male now here is the sad situation the real reason why it's called a black or brown widow whenever that male goes to this elderly female enticed by what she is sending forth evidently his desire level is toward that that whenever he goes to her and they, they start this courting or mating uh, process, that the moment that it begins, the female begins to eat the, fem- the male spider. Thus, in the moment, the same person she joined herself with, she's making herself a widow. But that, I know it's pretty drastic, isn't it, guys? Uh, that, that this male is entering a suicide mission. Because of his own lust. Uh, he's going to this lady and he's going to be consumed by her. And in that moment, she is becoming a quote-unquote widow. They're probably not going to be able to have any children. Uh, even if there are any children, dad's dead from the moment of conception. Uh, because she has ate him up, so to speak. But he's so driven by this that it says that at times he will even do a six-hour dance of courtship and attraction just to get what he is wanting. But the underlying idea is this, what he is wanting is also going to be the death of him. 
all right? What he is desiring is also going to be the death of him. And so it doesn't matter if there's younger ones around. He's driven by his own appetite. And his own appetite brings him to a death. And, well, that's horrible. So that is the real reason why it is a black or brown widow spider. Because they make widows of themselves. And so uh, I guess this morning the, 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 you consider the pain. If that was in the real world, you, you, you translate that to our world. There are a lot of things that we are driven by that we have enticement and appetite for. That the very thing that we are desiring becomes the same thing that takes us out. The same thing that compromises where we are. And so that's kind of like where we were last week. And so now James is trying to tell us, uh, if I could talk to all of the black spider males this morning, (laughs) or any of us that have that tendency to go after the things that we desire, and then it ends up taking us out. Uh, James is trying to tell us this. If any of you lack wisdom, isn't it amazing he goes straight to that after talking about uh, every man, he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when uh, sin is, or whenever lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Isn't it amazing that James would go from that straight in, if any man lack wisdom, right? Because we, 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 got, we got a squeaky wheel that needs some grease, James is saying, because evidently there were enough of them that were fallen prey to their own lusts and own appetites that was being the, the death nail, so to speak, in their coffin. So he says, uh, we need to wise up as people. We need to wise up as humanity. And so uh, in a roundabout way, not trying to be too forceful upon them, but if any man lack wisdom, because James is saying in the back of his mind, I'm seeing that we got some lack of wisdom. But if any man lack wisdom, he says, you need to ask of God that giveth it to all men liberally. And the great thing about this is that when you, la- when you ask of wisdom of the Lord, the Bible talks about basic two types of wisdoms. There's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom of God. And they are as different as night and day. They are as different as black and white. And so whenever you ask wisdom of the Lord, you're going to get the wisdom that heaven can give. All right? And so whenever we look at, at, at the context of our scripture this morning, how verse number four of, of James had concluded by saying uh, that we should want nothing or, or that word wanting could also be translated that we would not lack anything. Uh, James ties these two things together by a word that indicates to us that he's still wanting to talk about some of the pains, the temptations, and the trials uh, that we go through. We have learned, or at least in the book of the James, he teaches us that patience oftentimes comes by trial it comes by temptation it comes by hardship but now he wants us to know that wisdom comes by prayer wisdom comes by our communication with God and we need wisdom yes but particularly we need wisdom when we're faced with adversity because there is no there is no uh, perhaps greater time that our reasoning is compromised than when there's an adversity It was the adversity in the Old Testament or the trial of Abraham having a promise that his descendants would be many, be as the stars of the sky and the sands along the beach, that when there was a delay in the promise coming about, that reasoning of Abraham became compromised to believe that he and also his wife, Sarah, needed to come up with an alternative by providing Hagar to Abraham and thus was born at Ishmael. He reasoning was compromised. They made a choice that 
the Palestinians, and might I say Israel, is still dealing with the outfall of that choice all the way back during the time of Abraham and Sarah because somebody lacked wisdom during a moment of adversity. Someone lacked wisdom during a moment of a trial. Uh, the things that you see today, the conflict between the Arabs and the, and the, the Israelites or, or the Jewish people or the Palestinians and the Jewish people, that ties all the way back to the child of Ishmael that was born. Not the child of promise, but the child that was born out of human ingenuity because things weren't coming together the way they thought they should come together. So uh, save yourself a generational problem by asking God for wisdom during moments of difficulty and moments of hardship. And might I even say this, if you don't know what to do during the trial, it's best not to do anything. Amen. Abraham and Sarah would have been better off had they done nothing than to believe that they would come up with this quote-unquote plan B, uh, like God needed help to fulfill His promise in their life, which He did not. And so we need to for sure have wisdom during times of adversity because we make hasty decisions when we're under pressure. We make hasty, hasty decisions uh, whenever the heat and the fire of whatever we're going through is upon our lives or during moments of temptation for that matter. We make hasty decisions. And so the wisdom that James uh, admonishes us to ask is to ask wisdom of God. All right. And the wisdom that we ask of God, you know, sometimes this is our wisdom. God, I need wisdom. Get me up out of this trial. <laughs> Get me out of this circumstance. Get me out of all this situation. Get this out of my trouble. Uh, well, you know, God's got a great sense of humor and he doesn't always give us the road out. He might just give us the road through. Right. And so it's the road through that absolutely takes then the wisdom of God because wisdom from God allows us to deal with our surroundings, deal with our environment, deal with our circumstances. It might not be a route out, but he'll help you make the right choice when the fork comes to the road to have a, a route through. And so James 1 and 5 again says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. When James says, if any of you lack wisdom, he's not suggesting that there's some that have it together so well they don't need wisdom. All right? He's not suggesting that. Uh, he is really painting us all under the same umbrella, that each and every one of us need wisdom and that we all lack wisdom whenever we face trial and when we face temptation, that uh, we, we don't always see our need, if I could say it like that. We don't always see our need for the wisdom of God. I know there have been times in my own life, I'm like, God, I've got this. <laughs> you know, uh, if you move over the Lord, I'll, I, I got this. Really, this isn't severe enough that I, I need to call on you, only to find out as I get deeper in the trenches, Brother uh, Gregory, I find out that, you know what, I needed the Lord from the very beginning of this thing. Uh, that I lack wisdom. Solomon tells us in Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 7, for your reference, that wisdom is the principal thing. It is the main thing. It is the principal thing. As a matter of fact, Solomon's, Solomon's great prayer at the very inception of his reign as the king of Israel, his prayer that he prayed unto the Lord uh, was for wisdom. It was for wisdom. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Let's just look at that for a little bit. Solomon's prayer at the very beginning of his reign. 
2 Chronicles 1, verses 10 through 12. Amen. And the media will have it eventually. I didn't give these scriptures to them ahead of time this morning, so uh, that's on me. The Bible says, here's Solomon, Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this, thy people, that is so great? That's wisdom even within itself to ask. And God said to Solomon, because this is thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast thou asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Verse 12, wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee. Neither shall there any after thee have the like. And so he says, you're not asking for wealth. You're not asking for riches. You're not asking for honor. Uh, it's notable that you're asking for wisdom. And so God basically tells Solomon, since you are asking for wisdom, he says, then I'm going to give you all these other things that you did not ask for. Bam! There is a prime example, amen, that if any of us lack wisdom to ask of God. Sometimes we want to ask God particulars when in reality, if we can ask of wisdom, we'll get that plus. Amen. Uh, think with me just real clearly for a moment. If you have wisdom, you, by virtue of having then wisdom from the Lord, you will know how to ascertain riches if you have wisdom. Hmm? If you have wisdom, you'll know how to lead an honorable life and secure the honor of those that are around you if you have wisdom. And so in reality, wisdom is the principal thing because stemming from wisdom came all these other things that he did not ask for, he could have asked for, but they came nonetheless. But if he had just asked for honor, you know what he had had? Honor. If he had asked for riches, he had had riches. But because he asked for wisdom, he has now honor and riches, and he has wealth. He has all these other things because wisdom is the principal thing. And he, no, he said wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is, you know, uh, uh, the what of life. Knowledge answers to the what of life. You know, you, you want to know what is going on when you get that. That's knowledge, the what. And then the Bible also says in Proverbs, Solomon told us in all of our getting to get understanding. Understanding is the why. Uh, us as humans really like to know the why. It's one thing to have the knowledge what the what is, but why is there the what? Right? But whenever we come to wisdom, wisdom is the how of life. It's the how. So you, you, you might have knowledge and you might have understanding, but then you need to know how maybe to implement something or how to go about something. Uh, it's one thing to know what needs to be done and understand why it needs to be done, but you need to know how it needs to be done. And so wisdom is that. So wisdom and knowledge, the, the how and the what work in tandem with one another. In other words, even in this moment, Solomon was even taking himself to a place that it wasn't that he asked for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. At this position, he was just safe to assume, God, if this wisdom that comes from above come from you, I don't even have to understand the why. I just need to know how and what to go forward. I don't even know, I have to understand. I don't need to know why. I, I, I'm just going to exercise faith when it comes to the why. And that's where we find ourselves oftentimes because there's oftentimes in retrospect, you'll, under, you, you'll see the, the what and you'll see how it all took place, but there's times that we still don't know the why. 
And let me tell you this morning, there'll be some things you go to your grave with not knowing the why. The why. Why, God, did that happen? Why did this take place? Why did that occur? You'll go to your grave not knowing the why. But that where faith in our relationship with God is employed. And that's just to trust Him with the why. Hmm? To trust Him with the why. And that one of the hard things for us as humanity to, uh, to accept is that God is God. He's sovereign in that He doesn't necess- he, he don't answer to anyone. He don't answer to any of humanity. It's not like, uh, you know, we're setting him down with a hundred questions that we're going to ask him and he's obligated to answer each one of those. That's not God. God is sovereign. He can do what only God does and leave us at times without the why being answered. An unknown author, he said this. He said, someone has said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart. How many has ever done that? I think I'm going to fix this. You just took it apart. It's easy sometimes to take something apart, isn't it? I remember when we were younger, Rhonda, uh, we had uh, our front door, and we lived in an old house, and uh, it wasn't with the locking mechanism on the inside of the door, meaning actually in the door, but it was the old kind that was on, you know, the opposite side where an intruder would come in, you know, that, that locked, and there was something going on with that, and Rhonda, she always thought she had a little mechanic, you know, uh, ability, and she took that thing off there and broke it all apart. Did a great job at doing that. She had a hard time, though, getting that back together. And so, <laughs> you know, knowledge might be the ability to take something apart, but the author said, wisdom is the ability to put them back together. <laughs> wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So she got it apart, but she couldn't get it back together. And so sometimes by virtue of our trouble, by virtue of our trouble, we're afforded the what, what it is that's going on. But, but we have the knowledge of the what, of whatever it is we're facing, the trial, the tribulation, the temptation. Uh, we, we know what we are feeling. We know what we are experiencing. But our response is usually this, what? Why is this going on? We want understanding. And so whenever we come to verse number four, uh, verse number four is proven. This is the trying of my faith. James probes us then as a result of this being the trying of our faith, our trial, our temptation being the trying of our faith, then we are to ask for wisdom. Uh, those that have young children, or if you remember now, maybe you have adult children, you remember when they were younger, you will remember your child or maybe even a spouse, but real typical of children, they want to know why. They go through that why stage. Go clean your room. Why? Uh, because it's messy. Why? Because you've just done havoc with it all through the week why you know it's just that constant why and after they've asked so many why questions you throw the trump card down because i'm your parent why because we brought you into this world and we can bring you out real quickly if it's not going no <laughs> you know you have the why the why the why why were you doing something especially if it involves them the cleaning the room example and so you know did you ever just reply you know just trust me just trust me with this just go do it just just, just trust me what you're saying is just have faith in me that it needs to be done and that you need to do it and no other questions asked. Just trust me on it, right? Well, I think some God, sometimes God looks at us and he's just telling us, just trust me with it. Hmm. Just trust me with it. Just, just have faith right here. Have you ever noticed the first things for which the Apostle Paul prayed for on behalf of the Christians, both in the book of Ephesians and Colossians, both the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae? There's something that Paul prayed about. In Ephesians, he prayed, he said, may you give unto them, speaking of the church at Ephesus, may you, may you give unto them the spirit of wisdom. 
In Colossae, he said something very similar for the church at Colossae. He said, might you fill them with knowledge of your will in all wisdom? Amen. Let me ask you a question. And you, this is rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand. You can raise both if you start to raise one and fake it out. You know, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, do, do you find yourself praying more or less whenever life is in trouble? Do you find yourself praying more or less whenever life is in trouble? David said, if he's an indicator of humanity within itself in the Psalms, David said, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. It's typical for us when trouble comes, hardship comes, we're going to cry out to God. As a matter of fact, it's typical for people to come to the house of God that may not even normally come to the house of God to do so whenever their life is in distress, in shambles. And that's okay because they know where their help cometh. They know where their redeemer is, where their helper is. When life, one person said, when life knocks you to your knees, you're in a good position to pray. <laughs> when you find yourself in those distressing times and it knocks you down, you're in a good position to pray. And so again, we ask ourselves the question, Sister Brenda, what do we pray for during those times? Deliverance? Is that what we pray for? God, get me out of this mess. God, get me out of this trouble. Huh? How many has ever said, I don't know how much more I can take? Huh? You know, like, just being honest, God, you know, just being transparent with you, Lord. I don't know how much more I can take. Right? It's like the straw that has broken the camel's back has come upon you time and time again. And so, again, it's not so much about, Lord, I don't know how much more I can take, but how much can he take? Huh? Because when we say, I don't know how much more I can take, God, that's where we've been trying to live life as though we're charting our own path and we're, you know, making our inroads. I got this, God, just move over a little bit. It was never meant for how much you can take. It's how much can your God take? Because just with that statement alone, we realize we need to ask for wisdom because we need to shift whose responsibility all of this that's coming upon us is. It's not yours. You need to allow him to carry the load. Hmm? There's, there's power in surrender. Yeah, there's power in surrender. You know, I'm stub-headed sometimes. Huh. Most of the time, got some really stubborn genes on both sides of the family. Whew, help me, Jesus. But, you know, you're, you know, guys, we're the macho men, right? We can lift anything, carry anything. <sighs> Right? So you, you, you got a hold of something that's heavy. And, and you know, the, the saying is this a feather, if you carry it long enough, is going to get heavy. And you got it. I mean, you, you know, your wife's like, honey, you need help. I got it. Man. Biceps, triceps, all that. I got it, and you got it. And you're trying to meander your way in the house, and you're trying to go up the flight of stairs to the second floor. Beads of sweat is forming on your you know, forehead and running down your cheek. You got it? Yeah, I got it. You know, the voice is weakening a little bit. It's drooping down to your knees. And there's just something about whenever they just ignore everything we're saying and they pick up the opposite end. You might not hear it, ladies, literally, but there's this <sighs> sigh of relief uh, because someone has come along to help with the load. Sometimes as Christians, we're like macho men. I got it, God. I got it. 
it's no problem beads of sweat are forming but there's just something about whenever he comes alongside us and we surrender part of the weight or if not all of the weight to him the awesome thing the bible tells us over and over again talking about the lord will bear us up or the lord will carry us the awesome thing about that whenever we surrender to the lord to bear us up to carry us he not only is bearing us up he's bearing whatever we're bearing He's carrying whatever we are carrying. And you might think you're really doing something, but he's got you. He's got you even if you perceive it or not. And so sometimes that long-weighted plea and prayer during our trials uh, of, Lord, I don't know what to do or how to deal with this, uh, whenever we finally cry out to him and surrender it to him, which is a hard thing, because the guy does not want to say, dear, will you help me? Right? No one wants to admit that. People don't like to admit that they need help. Because just asking for help within itself, it's a very humbling thing. I need help. It's a very humbling thing. And so when we do that, though, it's an act of reliance upon whoever we're asking help from. And if you can find yourself in a place, just, just be honest with God. We don't have nothing to try to showcase, any face to try to save. We can put our total reliance upon the Lord. The Bible says in Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah states these words. He says, oh, Lord, I know that the way of man, everybody say, that's me, is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. The Bible even talks about a godly man's steps is ordered of the Lord. And so don't spend life wringing your hands. Cry out to God in prayer. Because the Bible tells us, let him that asketh, James said, let him that asketh of God that giveth, which literally means this. We're to ask of a giving God. What that is underscoring is God is a giver more so than a taker. And so let him ask of God that giveth. We're asking of a giving God. We're asking of a blessing God. We're asking of a God, if I could say it in this manner, we're asking of a God that wants to help. We're asking of a God that's eager to help. Amen. And so that Greek word there in the New Testament, that Greek word we translate ask, emphasizes that the prayer is for something to be given rather than for something to be done. There it is. So we're not praying necessarily God do something. We're praying God give something. That's what it's dealing with. And so God, what are you going to give us? Well, uh, you know, how we deal with the tribulation, how we deal with the temptation, uh, he's going to give us sometimes it's strength to bear. It's not going to lift a load, but sometimes he gives us the strength to bear the load. All right? So we're saying take it away. And he's saying, you know, David said in one of his psalms, he making my feet like hind's feet. He had some rough places to climb. He didn't move the mountain. He just enabled David's feet in order to traverse the mountain. And so it wasn't a prayer for something to be done, particularly, you know, for him. But there was something done to him that enabled him to traverse what was ahead of him. Now look, look what the scripture says there in verse number five once again. Because the Bible says, if you ask of wisdom, he upbraideth not and it shall be given him. He upbraideth not is the phrase I want you to look at. The word upbraided. That's, that's a real good biblical word. You know, it's not, you don't, you don't, you don't use that in modern day. Uh, talk about upbraiding, you know. When's the last time you used that word? You don't. That, that's a real good biblical King James Version word. <clears throat> but what that means is that he doesn't give us, 
a strong verbal abuse. Whenever we ask of wisdom, God doesn't give us some strong verbal abuse. Uh, something that God will not do when we ask for that is say, well, that low-down, good-for-nothing, ignorant person asking for wisdom. No. Then when you look at verse number 5, the end of verse number 5, it says, so he's not going to strongly abuse us for asking for that, but it shall be given him. So here's the success. Here's the success of the matter. Although God knows that we have a need, and he does, even before we ask, we know that according to the word, nevertheless, he's asked of us that we would ask of him for help. He knows we have need, but he's asking of us that we would ask of him for help. The Bible says in verse number 6 of James 1, but let him ask, here, this is the condition for our asking. Let him ask in faith. So here's again, I, I don't know necessarily the why, but I'm asking in faith. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Note now, he says in verse 6, but let him ask. That word, but, is a very strong contrasting statement here. James instructs us on what to ask for, that's wisdom, how to ask, we are to ask in faith. So James says, let him ask in faith, in faith, everybody say in faith, let him ask in faith, it doesn't say let him ask with faith, it says let him ask in faith. So faith is not something that's added like, you know, a la carte, something that's just added, you do not add faith to prayer. Prayer comes forth from a person's faith. Prayer comes forth from a person's faith. Whenever someone, anybody, anybody would ever raise their hand and say, please pray for Uncle Johnny. By saying that, you have exercised faith. You know why? Because you have faith and believe that you can take that to God and God can do something about it. You exercise faith the moment you say, please pray for such and such or please pray. What are you, you're exercising faith because you believe that God can do something about that. And so through prayer, Prayer comes forth from a person's faith. Because if you thought he couldn't do it, you would not even ask it to begin with. Here, here uh, whenever mom went through uh, surgery, people were getting drinks out of the vending machine. And the caps on those vending machine bottles, whew, I'll tell you what, they were tight. They were. I mean, we, we were sitting there and, and uh, Brother Mason, that's Jerry, that Brother Alex's dad, first of all, we was in the cafeteria. He got one of those. Son, he grabbed a hold of that, and he twists. Man, he's binding. His cheeks are turning red. His arms are shaking. And so uh, Pastor Frederick was there playing pastor for our family that day, and he handed it over to Pastor Frederick, and he got his big old hands on there and grabbed a hold of it. You know, he's laughing at Brother Mason like, you know, you wimp, sissy, and all this. He put his hands on there. And he's starting to shake and all that stuff. Man, I'm the only other one sitting at the table, and I'm thinking, how's this going to work, you know? And so I grab a hold of that bottle, and I grab a hold of the top, and I even, I grabbed a napkin to try to get a good grip. Oh, you're cheating, you know, all this stuff. I'm hearing from them. They're giving me, all right. I grab a hold of that bottle, and my arms start shaking. I'm like, whoo, you know, we really got something here. Now, they handed, we handed the bottle off to each individual person because we had faith that since we couldn't do it, perhaps they could. By the time it got to me, I always carry a pocket knife. I took my pocket knife. Let me get this off. That's really relaxing. 
I got out my pocket knife and I had to cut the stinking lid off of there. I'm serious. Now, anybody else that's sitting here, you probably think you're man enough to take care of it. But what I'm saying is we handed that off to each individual person because we thought we had enough faith. Since I can't, I, I think that they might be able to do it. Well, I had faith in my pocket knife. When it was all said and done, that it could cut that sucker off. We had trouble with bottles the whole time we were there. There's different ones that we had to cut other bottle caps off. I don't know if we was all weak that day or if Pepsi or whoever it was that supplied the bottles, they just thought they, somebody on a, on a uh, factory line is just having a hee-haw time thinking about everybody that's not getting those bottle caps off. Whatever they did, I guarantee you. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is, if you go to someone for help, you have faith that they can help you. You trust that they're going to be able to help you. And so James says, let him ask in faith, not with faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse number six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, here it is, must believe that he is. See, that's faith. You're not going to go to a God that you don't even believe exists. You have faith that a God is there, so you go to him. He that cometh to God, believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So again, because of your faith in God, you go to him because you believe he exists. And then you believe that he is a rewarder or that he can do something about that you convey to him. You exercise faith. Then when you pray, when, when we speak of praying in faith, we do not mean that we're having faith necessarily in, in prayer, but we have faith in the one to whom we are praying. We, we have faith in a person. And our prayer is just a means by which we communicate with the person. Someone say there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer because there's power in the object to whom we pray. You can't just say there's power in prayer. Because there's people praying to non-living entities. Israel at times prayed to wood, stone. Huh? There's no power in their prayer. There's power in the one to whom you pray. And if it gets answered, if it turns around, if it, if it all comes about, it's not because of the prayer within itself, but it's because the one to whom you prayed to. Amen. We have, we have faith in a person, the living God. Amen. The one who cannot fail, the Bible says. The one who the Bible says cannot lie. The one who the Bible says cannot deny himself. That God. Amen. Uh, so, and ultimately, when we go back to thinking all this, you know, many times whenever we go to God, prayer, and we pray to him, and I know this is hard to do, and there's nothing wrong with asking things of God, but in reality, we, we, we wouldn't have to ask one thing of God. What we really need to do is just ask more of God himself. Because uh, uh, James will later say that every good and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor any shadow of turning. What are you saying, Brother McGee? Whenever you just get more of God, then you get more of the things that you need of God. Just having God himself. And so Paul comes forward right in the midst of this in the Old Testament or in the New Testament of Acts chapter 27, Paul comes forward right in the very midst of a horrific storm. They have thrown out, they have thrown out food. They have thrown out a lot of the tackle of the ship. You remember he's on a ship with 276 prisoners, I believe it is, and uh, he is on his way. And right in the middle of this horrific storm, all hope is lost, the Bible says. Uh, shipwreck is going to take place. He says in verse number 25 of Acts 27, he's talking to all of those 
those that are on the boat, their hearts are, are weary with the storm and they are fearful for what might happen. He says, wherefore, sirs, he said, be of good cheer. Now that takes a lot within itself to step in the middle of a horrific storm and say, be of good cheer. But this is what he follows those words up with. He says, for I believe God. I mean, they are in some of the most perilous times. They, all hope is lost. The Bible literally says that in Acts 27. All hope is lost. They're throwing out even the necessary things that they might need. And Paul comes among them and says, be of good cheer. And no doubt their minds are thinking, why, Paul? Do you see land? Do you see a break in the clouds? He doesn't say any of that. He just says, for I believe God. Woo! Holy Ghost here in just a little bit. Amen. Sometimes all we need, Sister Margaret, in the middle of some of the things that we're facing is just a, a reaffirmation of our own heart. You know what? I know it's bad. I know it doesn't look good. I know things aren't going right. But I'm going to stand to the helm of my ship in the midst of the storm and say, you know what? I believe God. I believe God. I believe the very one that spun all this thing into orbit and order in the very first place. I believe Somebody might need to stand up in your trial today. Right now this morning, lift your hands and say, listen here, trial. I believe God. Listen here, circumstance. I believe God. Amen. Hallelujah. I believe God. He goes on to say that it shall be even as it was told me because he had had a visitation of an angel of the Lord. And said that if they all abide in the ship, that none of them would be lost. That God would help them get to land. But even before he supplies all the other, he made that firm statement. I believe God. And listen, to say you believe God doesn't mean that in the moment that you're saying I believe God, that you are denying or that you are lowering the impact of the treacherous storm or whatever it is you're going through. You hear me? It's not like if you say you believe God, then you just got to deny that you're even going through anything. No. What it is is this saying that you believe God in spite of what you're going through. Hmm? In spite of you going through. It's realizing that, you know what? I've, I've been throwing out all the tackle and I believe all hope's lost. I'm saying this is the greatest storm of my life. But wait a minute. I believe God. This isn't my storm. This is your storm, God. This, this, this isn't my storm. This is your storm, God. Remember in the Gospels, Peter, that, that his, you know, that impulse of Peter, and they see the Lord walking on the water, and there was a storm and during that time too. Some of the disciples are upon the boat. And uh, he said, Lord, if that, be, if that be you, bid me come. You remember? Uh, Peter and his impulsiveness, boy, it really opens up some opportunities for him, doesn't it? <laughs> and the Lord said, come on. And so Peter's journey then to the Lord, remember? He's walking on the water toward the Lord. His eyes are fastened upon the Lord. But, but the Bible says the storm is still going. All right? At the moment in time that Peter gets out of the boat to start walking toward the Lord, the storm is still happening. But Peter's already starting to witness the miraculous in the middle of his storm. He gets out of the boat and he starts walking. His focus is upon the Lord. And the Bible said there were some boisterous winds that were blowing. Amen. The, 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 the waves are being tossed by the wind. Boisterous winds that are being blown. And the Bible indicates to us that in a moment then, Peter once again diverts focus 
becomes distracted by the boisterous winds and the waves that were already there before he got out of the boat. That really precipitated this asking if that was the Lord and bid me come scenario anyway. And so when he gets out and he's focused on the Lord, then he gets distracted once again by what was there before the Lord ever, before they were ever aware that the Lord was around. I'd like to say it like that. So all this trouble rose, posed a distraction to Peter. And the nature of doubt is this. The nature of doubt is this. A common visitor in any trial is going to be doubt. A common visitor in any trial is going to be doubt. We have the storm. He's got his focus on the Lord. Seems like everything's all right. He's already experiencing the miraculous, walking on water toward the Lord in the middle of his storm. But boom, the storm catches his eye again. What does Peter do? He no doubt, he, he, he without doubt begins to doubt. There is two things that I think is good for our Christian understanding. That there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. They are not two peas of the same pod. There's difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt. Doubt means this. To judge between two, to lack confidence in, to consider unlikely, to be uncertain, to waver or fluctuate in opinion, to hesitate, to be in suspense, to be in uncertainty, respecting the truth or fact, to be undetermined. So doubt is a state of mind in suspense, really, between faith and unbelief. Between faith and unbelief. Whenever you believe, you believe in your mind of accepting something that is true. But when you disbelieve, you have a mindset in rejecting whatever that is. But to doubt is to waver somewhere between the two. You're not sowed out that this is true, but you're not rejecting that perhaps it may be untrue. You are somewhere in the middle. You are in between. In essence, you have two minds. Maybe it could... Doubt is maybe it could happen, maybe it can't. Hmm? Doubt is maybe it'll fight for me, but maybe it won't. Unbelief, you're so doubt. It's not happening. All right? Doubt's like it leans to the right a little bit, and then it leans to the left a little bit. It goes forward a little bit, goes backward a little bit. It's like a buoy in the water. It just wobbles all over the place. Doubt. So it's not so much that a believer betrays their faith and then surrenders to unbelief. That oftentimes is not the case. Oftentimes, a believer surrenders their faith and they go to doubting. They go to doubting. They go to halting, if you will, between two things. A Chinese proverb speaks like this. said, it's a person that has a foot in two boats, a doubter. A person that has a foot in two boats. So faith, faith is very crucial. We've already understand that. You believe God. You believe he's a rewarder. You ask things of him because you have belief in him. But while faith is very crucial, doubt is also a very serious component in our walks with the Lord too. Because doubt, again, doubt is not unbelief. Amen. Doubt is not unbelief. And doubt does not have to be terminal, if I can say it like this. <clears throat> there is an open-minded uncertainty whenever it comes to doubt. Open-minded uncertainty could be this or could be that. Whenever you talk about unbelief, it's closed-minded. It already has a made-up mind. Doubt is a, half, a halfway stage. 
It's like between rungs on a ladder, so to speak. They're, they're, they're struggling with their faith, but they've not totally lost faith. They're somewhere in between. Writing to a man responsible for guiding others' spiritual things, the Apostle Paul, who was a guider for many, said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and 8, he said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, is what the Scripture said. And the reason why the Apostle Paul wanted men to pray everywhere without, particularly for our, our purposes this morning, without doubting, is because he's, the, the gospel says in Matthew, Matthew 21, verse 22, and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing. You get that? Whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing. Ye shall receive. Uh, the, the, in the Gospel of Mark, it's reiterated again. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe, all right, that ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. Amen. And so when we look at these two things, when we look at these two things, then belief is an important component in our prayer. It's not normally that someone prays and doubts. All right, that's what he said. Men everywhere lifting up holy hands, they need to do that, amen, without wrath and doubting because it's almost a controversial struggle to try to pray in doubt. Hmm? To, in essence, to believe and be questioning whether or not it will or will not or God can or cannot, amen. There's been momentary doubts that's clouded the skies of believers throughout the Scripture, uh, Abraham, whenever he was considering uh, his inheritance of, of Canaan, uh, the promised land, he was somewhat doubtful over that. Gideon, whenever the Lord said, here's your 300 that I've, I've broken your army down to, just 300, and you're going to have victory over the Midianites. Well, Gideon's a little questionable. He's doubting concerning that. John the Baptist is in prison, and he has his disciples go to Jesus and say, art thou the Christ, or should we look for another? Why did John do that? Because he was a little doubtful about whether or not Jesus was truly the Christ. Martha, amen, as to the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus shows up. She says, had you been here four days earlier, our brother would not have died. Jesus says, I know, she says, I know that he'll live in the resurrection. Jesus says unto her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And she's still a little bit in a quandary about whether or not this is going to take place. Thomas, he was a little doubtful about the resurrection too. He said, unless I see that if I put, plunge my hands into his side, into the nail prints, he said, I will not believe. So there's always been this element of cloud of doubt that's come upon the people. James 1 and 7, though, says, for let not the man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, that's following up, of course, verse number six. He said, because you're supposed to have what you're supposed to have faith, nothing wavering. What's he talking about? Don't doubt. Have faith without doubt, because if you're doubt, he says, you're just like the wave of the sea that's being tossed about. Amen. By the wind. It rises and it falls and it comes and it goes. And so James follows that up then with verse number seven. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. In other words, he says, if you're going to be the doubting prayer or the one with wavering, he said, don't think you receive anything of the Lord. Because the Bible over and over again says, pray such and such and believe. Pray such and such and have faith. Amen. <laughs> For... James 7 and 1. Oh, I'm over, ain't I? Okay. We'll close it up here soon. Everybody's okay. For, that's a conjunction. 
it serves as a little marker here showing the reason or the cause for something. Again, noted above, James uses this conjunction to introduce a second reason the reader must ask in faith without doubting. He's saying that man, that man, the one who doubts, that's the one I'm talking about. He said God may send the answer of what is needed, but it will not be reality to the doubter because they question the validity of what he's done. Let me break it down for you. He said a doubter can receive the answer and still not in reality receive the answer because they still doubt the answer. Doubters don't even doubt that it could be done when it's done. They doubt that it was done. Amen. I've dealt with it sometimes. There's been people that God has healed, but the very person that received the healing even doubt that they've been healed. He says, you got you to gotta pray in faith, not wavering. You cannot doubt because the very thing that you even asked or required can come, but you'll still not be a receiver of it because you'll doubt that it was done. That's a horrible place to be put in. That's a horrible place to put yourself in. Huh? What's happening? Peter is in jail in the book of Acts. James has been beheaded. Peter is waiting execution. He's in jail. John, at John Mark's mother's house, they go to prayer. A prayer meeting for good old St. Peter. God deliver him from prison. Get him out of there, Lord. Spare his life. Prayers are being made. An angel of the Lord comes visits Peter by night. Lifts him up. His shackles fall off his hands and feet. The Bible says he was in like the third ward and he had to come through the second one and the first one. And as he walked with the angel of the Lord, the Bible says even the door and the gate opened on its own accord for Peter. He gets out in the middle of the street. He's free from prison. He's out of the hands of the conquerors. The angel of the Lord departs. Where does Peter go? He goes to the house of John Mark's mother where they're praying. Peter comes. Listen, he's out of jail. They've been praying for exactly what just happened. He knocks on the door. Rhoda goes to the door. Who is it? It's me, Peter. She is like, ow! She runs back and tells all the others, hey, Peter is standing at the door. And what do they do? Doubt. Oh, perhaps it's his spirit or something else. You know what's going on? Evidently, they were praying with some doubt. Because God answered their prayer, and when the answer to their prayer was even standing at their door, they still could not take it or own it because they were still in doubt. Amen. Finally, the Bible says that they opened the door and they rejoiced, and it was made known unto them. But they, they couldn't receive Peter's deliverance, although it already happened, because of their doubt. So the doubters, in many regards, don't truly receive anything from the Lord because they're still questioning even what he does. Amen? Look at James 1 and verse 8. I'm trying. We'll tie it up. We're right here. A double-minded man. There we go. What? That's that person in that doubting phase. A little left, a little right. Maybe can, maybe can't. He says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways the word all there in the greek i know we make a lot of fun like this stuff you know you look at you know what the, you know what all means in the greek all but in reality 
all here in the Greek means all in an all-inclusive sense. Everything. In all his conduct or behavior, he's unstable. If you'll stand with me this morning. Folks, I've seen it. People that's doubted God, they'll be unstable in all their ways. How so? They'll be unstable in their church attendance. Not only that, they will switch jobs in the real world. They'll have to have different cars, different homes. They'll switch relationships. You know why? Because they are double-minded. And whenever it says all, all is inclusive. There's people today, I know people that have been doubtful in the relationships with God, and they are literally unstable and indecisive in all other ways. They are constantly changing something in their life because nothing satisfies. Nothing is appealing. They, they have no anchor planted in the ground anywhere. They are unstable in all of their ways. This type of divided heart or this type of doubt, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the heart of a, of a girl that a young man came to one time and this young suitor came to and thought that this might be a girl that he would like to marry. And so the young man came to her and proposed to her, you know, asked for a hand in marriage. And he said something along these lines. He said, darling, he said, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. I want you to marry me. He says, I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht. I don't have a Roy's Royce like Johnny Brown. But I do love you with all of my heart. So she's taken back by this proposal, this suitor coming to her, asking for a hand in marriage, and she thought a minute. And then she replied to this dear young man. She says, I love you with all of my heart too. But tell me more about this Johnny Brown with the Rolls Royce. Double-minded. Amen. One person said like this, you cannot receive anything of the Lord when you can't hold his hand long enough for him to place anything in them. We bow our heads in this place this morning. What can we do about our part? Some of the havoc that we cause ourselves. Number one, number one, we need to ask wisdom of the Lord. Because there's none of us that walk through this life that, that all wisdom dies with us. We need the wisdom of heaven. We need the wisdom of the Lord. And even if we don't get the understanding, even if we don't know the why, we need to proceed in that with having faith in God. Belief in God, that God is able, that God will do, not wavering, not, not being given to doubt. Amen. That going forth into the middle, if you will, of our trouble, even as Paul did on that ship and saying, you know what? I believe God. I don't know. I don't know if this, this, this thing that I'm suffering with right now, I don't know if it's going to be around for two weeks or two years. But in spite of it all, I believe 
God and God is able. God is able. Now, whether he will or won't deliver me, he might just strengthen me to endure what I'm going through. But I believe God. There's somebody in this house this morning that perhaps is upon some some circumstances of life that are troubling and and you, you may feel a little hasty right now and uncomfortable and impatient wanting it to leave or, 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 or on the verge of making some decisions, but you're making it in a moment that, that everything's kind of clouded and there's a d- d- deep fog upon your life. I- I'm asking you today, you just need to stand still and just affirm your belief in God. And you need to have faith in God and don't allow the circumstance to cause you to veer off over into an area of doubting of whether he will or whether he won't or whether he exists or whether he doesn't or whether he sees what I'm going through or whether he don't know. Believe in God. Uh, Wanting nothing. Not wavering. Have a firm if you will anchor in the Lord. Does that mean it's all going to go away? Maybe not. Maybe it will but maybe it not. But if it don't you know who has his his hand up on the storm and if he's carrying you he's carrying whatever you're carrying if he's bear if he is bearing you upon his shoulders he's bearing whatever you're bearing upon your shoulders as he's doing it i believe god i believe god Hallelujah, hallelujah. But Mason, if you can come right now. These altars are open today. There can be real people today that they come to the house of the Lord and they've been like David. They said, Lord, in my distress, I'm crying out to you. In my trouble, I'm crying out to you. Lord, in the temptations, the very things, uh, God, that I've been drawn by, by my own, Lord, lust, I'm being enticed. God, I cry out to you. What are you saying? What are you saying, sir? What are you saying? I'm saying, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I can't do this by myself and I know you're walking alongside me even those moments that I cannot feel you I can't sense it and I don't identify it but I'm just making it known today God this I'm getting rid of all pride and saying God I need you I need your help I believe God I believe God I believe God I believe God Hallelujah. These altars are open today. Someone desires to pray. If you want to just lift your hand where you're standing or pray in your pew. God is here this morning. God is here this morning. Hallelujah. There's no there's no variableness with God. Hallelujah. He doesn't take weekends off. The Bible says and neither does he sleep nor does he slumber. He is aware of our needs. He's aware of our paths. God knows us. He sees us. He's aware of us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's cry out to him this morning. Hallelujah. Don't pray with faith today. Pray in faith. Don't pray with faith today, but pray in faith. God, I'm communicating with you because I believe you are. And you're a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. I'm praying you today, God, because I believe something could be done about it. If it's, Lord, something done about the problem or something done about me in order to endure what I'm going through. I believe God. Come on, somebody. You need to cry out to your creator today. You need to cry out to your creator. He created you. He formed you. He knows. The Bible says there's no temptation taking us, but such is common to man. And God will with the temptation make a wave and escape. I don't know what thou be. Escape me now or give me the strength to endure. But nevertheless, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to be given over to doubt. I'm not going to lasso my life around unbelief. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. There's always going to be another trial. There's always going to be another circumstance. There's always going to be another problem. 
But let me tell you this, there's always going to be God too. He's not on vacation. He's not somewhere where we, he cannot be reached. If you cry out to him today, he'll hear your cry. He'll hear your voice. He'll attend to what it is in the way that he believes is best for you. Brother Mace, can you sing right now? Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. I believe God. Help me, God. Help me, God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.